0: like we are live with another edition of the Guys Girl Show. My name is Lythe. I am your host. I am the founder of guysgirl.com. It's a sports and entertainment website for women. I'm sure if you've listened to a few of these um, broadcasts in the past that uh, you're probably tired of hearing me say that, but um, tough case or tough shit, I guess I should say. Yeah, tough case. That doesn't even make sense. I'm still in a little bit of a whirlwind with this whole election that's, that's occurring tomorrow and the fate of our country is in a lot of people's hands, or the, I guess the future of our country is in a lot of people's hands. And I'm not going to talk about politics tonight, um, except for this really interesting story that I read, or, and I say really interesting, it's somewhat kind of interesting. Um, the only kind of election thing that I'm going to talk about tonight is, you know, how everybody, whenever they vote, you get that little sticker. And I was thinking earlier today, where did that tradition come from? Because obviously stickers, we've been voting for forever, but stickers are only, you know, fairly recent as far as, you know, decades old. So where did it start? And I did a little research, and apparently when you get the little sticker, it started as early as in South Florida. The Miami Herald was the first newspaper recorded to ever have mentioned the little I Voted stickers and so they did some they did additional digging and they found out that more like graphic designers found out about the stickers later on so as as early as 1987 that these stickers were becoming mainstream because these graphic designers particularly one in I want to say Missouri was wanted to create a community building exercise and when people are doing the same thing, then they feel like they're part of a community. So that's why you see the stickers at every single polling place now is to make people feel like they have more of a community. So I just thought that little nugget was a little bit of an, an interesting little bit. Um, that's as far as the, the election covers that I'm going to talk about. This is as usual on Monday nights, we like to talk about uh, um, the sports weekend or the sports weekend that was as far as the six best stories. I like to call it the six pack of stories that you should know after the weekend in sports. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a penguin love triangle, which mother nature has been doing some damage over the past few days. And I'm sure she's always been doing some damage, but over the past weekend, Twitter was shook over these couple new stories that I'm going to talk about into here in just a second. Later on in the show, we're also going to be joined by a guy named Sully Football. If you're on Twitter and a part of the, the football Twitter family, then you might be aware of his work. He actually does some really fabulous work. Uh, he has his own podcast called I Hate Sully. Um, And I don't know why he calls it I Hate Sully. We're going to ask him a little bit later on because I don't hate him. He He's pretty great. He came on the Jaguars kickoff show, which is a show that we do five hours before kickoff, um, before every Jaguars game. So he came live on air yesterday and talked about the Kansas City Jaguars game matchup. So I'm interested to hear his take On that closer than what we thought victory for the Chiefs. The Jaguars had a chance to win that game at the end and they obviously they didn't pull it out because we only have two wins on, on the season. But Kansas City nearly squeaked by with the W, 19-14. And, um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to hear his thoughts as far as, um, a football aficionado is concerned and if, um, he thinks that this Chiefs team has a real shot. winning that tough. I mean, they they probably don't have a chance to win the AFC West, but it still could be an interesting race. Nonetheless, they could still could get a wild card spot, and that's probably um, more of the option that KC is going to take. But uh, we'll let let Sully dive into that a little bit later on the show. He's going to be joining us around 8 p.m. Uh, But with all that said, I'm going to jump right into the six pack of stories and this penguin love triangle that just caught everyone off guard over the weekend. I think um, with everything that's going on, you know, I, I said I wouldn't mention election stuff, but I think with everything that's going on with that election, we're looking for different uh, things to grab our attention. And this video about a penguin love triangle is tweeted out by National Geographic. It was about a three-minute-long video, and if you watch it, what happens is that... Okay, so say, like, you. you have, I don't know if most of you guys have seen March of the Penguins. March of the Penguins is that movie that came out years ago in theaters, and it talked about, you know, how penguins travel this, you know, super far way just to be able to go to their nesting grounds and to be able to mate and stuff like that. And um, and they one of the central focuses of the movie was that if a penguin chooses a partner, they have that partner for life. And I mean, obviously, barring a death or anything like that, but that's it's sort of the romantic thing about the 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 March of the Penguins movie is that you 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 become connected to an animal that you think you you think humans are the only monogamous or supposed to be monogamous species on the planet, but then you find out about penguins. It's like, oh, those cute little animals. I knew I liked them to begin with. But National Geographic ruined all, every little bit of that nice little thought that I had when they sent this video of a home-wrecking penguin. He, what happened is that all these penguins, they, they go back to their nesting ground in hopes that the, their mate will return as well. Well, when the husband, quote-unquote, came back to his nest, he found that the female had found another mate. And what happens? The two male penguins go at it. I mean, they're whipping their little flippers at each other, which they said that the flippers can, they can whack somebody. It's made out of solid bone and they can whack someone, whack another penguin, like eight flip, flips in a second. So it was a serious fight. And then they started like gouging each other's eyes. That was a bloody brawl. It was very uh, gruesome. And I wasn't ready for all of that gruesomeness. And so the narrator was probably the best part of the entire video that they tweeted out. And if you want to check it out, go, um, go to Nat or National Geographic's Twitter account and you'll see it. I'll link it in the, in the show recap so you guys can see the, the notes. Um, but these two male penguins fought, like y- you thought that somebody was going to die. And it was, there were parts that were really gruesome. Like you really thought like eyes were going to be ripped out and i'm sort of just cringing like i can't watch a lot of it because they're they they were trying to kill each other and what happens is the the two male penguins after they get done fighting the first time they send out this call and then the female penguin comes over and she chooses and she chooses the new guy so she chooses the home wrecker and then they go back into their little nest area and the the husband decides he has had enough of this, he's not going to stand for it, so he goes to the nest and picks a fight in the nest, so that they're like, the two penguins, the new couple, are in the ground together, and the males are like fighting each other, coming out of the ground, and then all of a sudden, both of them come out again, and the man, the, the former lover, I guess you could say, the, the he comes out, and he does one final call For his mate to say, now's your chance, you're either coming with me or you're going with the new guy. And she stays with the new guy. And the narrator just drops the mic and he says, she's got no, he used the words, she's got no time for losers. So this poor penguin had to just walk off. And what's worse is that an injured penguin has more of a chance to be attacked by a predator because they know that he's injured. So he's battered and bruised, probably missing an eye. His blood is everywhere. It was really gruesome. And so the the Twitter just had a field day talking about, you know, these hoes ain't lawyer, these loyal, these penguins ain't loyal. But then you go and you read the actual Nat Geo article that they sent out and that's not the only thing that female penguins do, and I found this hilarious. But something like 75% of penguins, once they get together, they stay together for life. But if something does happen where they, they're not together anymore, usually it's caused by death. The second leading cause is penguins, female ones, prostituting themselves out to get single penguins to build their nests for them, mate with them, and then they leave. Like, listen to this quote. National Geographic also said, Female penguins have been observed turning to, prostitutions, turning to prostitution to help build their nests, offering themselves to male penguins in exchange for rocks. When exchange, I mean, rocks, diamonds, who, who's really counting? Back to the quote. When engaging in this behavior, female penguins usually target single males so as to not be attacked by other females. Unlike the male penguin in the video, the females will occasionally take their payment and run, failing to complete the mating ritual with the new male and running back to their nest with their rocky prize once they've made their offer. (laughs) So it's kind of like saying, hey pal, you're gonna get laid, Um, just take me to Ruth's Chris first, and then after Ruth's Chris, sorry, I gotta go, I have a headache. Like, that's essentially what these female penguins are doing. And I just found that completely fascinating. So if you want to check out that video, I'll put it in the show notes. If it's not, um, if you can't wait to check it out, then you can go and see. Um, you can go check out Nat Geo's Twitter account because it's been blowing up. I, I guarantee that that's their most popular tweet in a very long time. And then on the other case of Animal Thunderdome, you had another video that I sent out today on my Twitter account. Which is, I mean, it's been retweeted, you know, thousands and thousands of times. Um, but there was this little iguana that was just hatched. And he's trying to escape a snake beach. A snake beach. And he's running and these snakes can only see him. It's like T-Rex, right? Like, you can only see somebody if they're moving. So the iguana tries to stay perfectly still and when he does it when he's on the, the the snake is right next to him he has to run he has to. And so then he starts running and then you see all of these snakes coming out of the rocks and it's terrifying and then they grab him and you think he's dead like he's 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 dead. And he gets free, runs away, jumps a couple rocks. I mean this is Acrobatic. I had anxiety watching it, and I'm like, "Oh God, he's gonna die. He's gonna die. This is gonna be just like the penguin. He's gonna die, and it's gonna be all over." And I don't know why I'm watching these animal videos on Monday morning, but here we are. But he got away. So if you want to check out either of those two videos, go on Twitter and just search. I mean, they're, they're, those those have been a great distraction from this shit fest of an election. So, moving on. If you're just joining me, my name is Blythe. I host the Guys Girl Show here every Monday night from 7 to 9 p.m., and then every Friday morning from 8.30 to 10.30 in the morning, sometimes in 9 to 11, depending on the night before, uh, but usually 8.30 Eastern Standard Time in the morning on Fridays, and what I like to do is I like to recap the sports weekend and then preview the sports weekend, so obviously tonight we are recapping the sports weekend along with um, the Animal Thunderdome. So we're going to jump right into the Monday six-pack, and I'm just going to go off. I mean, I can't can't really start this show. I mean, I could start it with animals, but I'm going to jump into another animal that's actually a team mascot, and that's the Cubs. They continue to celebrate their historic World Series win, the first World Series after 108 years. If you're a sports fan, you probably heard that a thousand times, yada, yada, yada. But a couple stories that I did hear that... Were, were pretty interesting because as you see these guys start to make their little um, championship tour, you start to see their different personalities come out. And that's what I really love about, you know, sort of a championship tour. Of course, they're going to Disney World. They're doing all of that. Um, but the World Series Parade that was held on Friday was the seventh biggest crowd in world history. So if you haven't seen the video of that, I'm included included in the show notes as well. But that, I just thought that that was fascinating. The seventh largest world gathering of people happened for the Cubs. I mean, I guess 108 years without a championship, that'll kind of do it for you. Um, there was another story that came out that a wife lost a wager with her husband, so she had to name their son Wrigley, which is kind of a cool name if you think about it. But he better have a really good middle name, too, just in case. Because, I mean, that actually, no, screw that. The, the, the first name, Wrigley, that's pretty badass. You can call him Riggs. Yeah, I, I, I'm talking myself into it right now. So she loses a wager. Husband and wife both have to name their son Wrigley. But that's kind of a cool story to be able to tell that you just had a baby after the Cubs win the World Series. And you name your son Wrigley. Like, that's 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 pretty cool, I think. And then the Cubs players, they took over SNL over the weekend. They, I mean, when I say took over, they were stripping. They had the sleeveless jerseys that they were twerking on or twerking with. And then Bill Murray, the the famous Cubs fan, he was in the locker room. He drunk interviewed Theo Epstein after the big win. And then he also got to join in with SNL. And and they sung the the Go Cubs Go song, which I thought is fantastic. It's fantastic as far as like a super fan is concerned. If your team wins a championship like that, like that's pretty impressive to be able to to join along in as if you're part of the team. Like that's that I think that's every fan's sort of dream. I know if the Jaguars were to ever win the Super Bowl, I would kill to be a part of the celebration to be able to put on the goggles and, and all that good stuff. But I did hear one Cubs player that said he didn't put on the goggles because he wanted to feel the burn of a championship win when the champagne gets in your eyes and you can't see anything. Um, so that that was kind of a cool little, little story as well. Um, the second part of this six-pack I want to get into is the weekend in college football. I mean obviously the Aggies lost over the weekend they proved that they were they were pretty overrated to begin with when Mississippi State pretty much handed it to them so the college football ranking committee famously not famously somewhat famously last week gave Texas A&M the fourth spot in the college football rankings because they had one loss to to Alabama and then which doesn't make any sense because there's there's Undefeated teams and Washington, and you also have a case. Yeah, I can make a strong case for Louisville, but I'm a little biased in that regard, so I'm going to save that for a little bit later. Um, Speaking of Washington and Louisville, undefeated Washington, an AP poll is now number four. Um, We'll wait until tomorrow for the actual college football rankings to come out by the committee, but according to the AP, Washington is now number four. One loss Louisville sits at five. Washington faces off against USC this weekend, and Washington State in their last game of the season, that's at the end of November. So those could be two games to watch for if you're a Louisville fan or if you're an Ohio State fan, and you want to see both of those teams possibly have a shot to make it into the playoffs. Hopefully it's Louisville, because the only team that they've lost to has been Clemson, and they lost to it in Death Valley. They lost to them. <laughs> essentially, they, essentially they, lost they, lost they, lost they lost it on the final play of, final game play of the game when game the wide receiver had the first he down, first down, head and first down. And they were just a few yards away from the end zone. So it was a first, have first have down, red zone. It was a red zone first down away for beating Clemson. And I firmly believe that if that game is played in Louisville, if that game is played on a neutral site, that Louisville wins that game seven out of ten times. Uh, Clemson has struggled a lot, especially as of, not as of late, but about a month ago, they struggled. You know, NC State, um, Florida State, they kind of handed it to them, um, but against Louisville as well, they've struggled late in these games against teams they shouldn't have. Well, I'm I'm not going to lump Louisville in that category, but the other games that they have struggled in, they should have easily won. And that's another point that I want to bring up because Bobby Petrino, head coach of Louisville, has said that... If style points are going to matter and when they, I say style points, I'm referring to the college football committee's preference to teams beating the snot out of another team, essentially not laying up. And Bobby Petrino over the weekend was asked about that and he said, look, there used to be a time when when class and respect were honored against your opponent on the field. And he made the remark that, but if style points are going to matter that much, then maybe we should have put up 80 against Florida state. And he makes a valid point because if you're going to count style points against Louisville, and I mean, obviously they had a big win. I think Lamar Jackson over the weekend secured his, his nod for the Heisman trophy. But if if style points are going to matter for every other team, then it should matter for Alabama as well, because Alabama Ten to nothing against LSU on Saturday night. That's not style points in my eyes. I do think that the Alabama's defense dominated, absolutely dominated LSU. I think they were averaging like one point three yards a carry, and 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 they held them to total offense of like a little over a hundred yards. So th- that Alabama defense dominated them. But to me, the play in the game was towards the end when Alabama gave up a turnover and LSU failed to convert and failed to get any points out of that turnover. And I said, this is where the game change, changes. Because at that point in time, the game was still 0-0. And if LSU would have been able to convert on that turnover, and I think that they were on their own like 40-yard line or something, and they weren't able to convert, then that's a completely different game if they do convert on there. And so that, that was the closest that Alabama was going to get. They didn't make it happen, so Alabama's going to remain number one. Um, Bobby Petrino makes some very, very valid points. Um, But other than that, you're probably looking at Alabama one, Clemson two, um, and then you have Michigan three, or maybe probably Michigan two, and then Clemson three, and then I think you're looking at Washington, an undefeated team Washington at four, and hopefully for Lowell fans, I say hopefully, um, they face off against USC this weekend or the, uh, Washington State later on in the season as their last game. So hopefully there, there's a little bit of breathing room there to maybe get Louisville into the championship. Because I think if you, if you're looking at the top five teams right now in the country, I think that that is the, the most dynamic matchup is between a Bobby Petrino led Louisville team versus a Nick Saban arguably might be his best team that Nick Saban has ever had now that he actually has a decent quarterback. So we'll see tomorrow night. The rankings will be released. um, And then we can uh, obviously debate more because I mean, that's the great part about college football is that you can just debate and debate until you're blue in the face. And then um, probably still nothing will be changed. Um, So next up, we have the Colts beating Green Bay. Now, during the Jaguars kickoff show, which I, I talked about a little bit earlier, that we um, that we co-host here in Jacksonville, Florida, um, we we talk about the a- different AFC South teams and, and who they're going to face off against. I put money on Green Bay beating the Colts soundly. The Colts have had spent previously spent four of their last six weeks on the road. They're a terrible road team, like well below 500 on the road, about near 500 at home. Green Bay has arguably one of the best home field advantages in the National Football League, probably second best. I'd put Seattle first and then Green Bay. But this should have been a game that Green Bay won easily. And with the Colts, like I said, four out of the last six weeks, they went on the road, including a trip to London. They were the first team in NFL history to not take a bye after their London game. So that was a, another thing that I thought that fatigue is definitely going to set in. Andrew Luck has been sacked the, the most out of any quarterback in the NFL. There was he's he, I thought he was going to be running for his life the entire game. Not the case. Green Bay struggled. Struggled and I know Aaron Rodgers has been struggling a lot this year, but that was earlier in the year, the past couple week or the past few weeks he's been playing well up until Sunday. And uh, Besides the squirrel on the field, which is probably the most entertaining part of the game, but the Colts ended up getting the victory 31-24, and now they're going to head into a much-needed bye week, and then they're going to face off against the Titans. And they have a very friendly schedule. They have one of the easier schedules in the league, especially um, remaining. So th- the Colts could sneak up and steal that AFC South division title if that's an honor, uh, but they might be able to steal it away from the Texans. Um, so that that's something to definitely keep an eye on. You you can, if you want to put money on anything, you can count Jacksonville out. That's for sure. They did have a little bit of an improved showing yesterday against Kansas City, but like I said, we'll get into that later on when Sully Football joins us. I want to say he was a former offensive line coach, and so that's what um, that's where his sort of expertise comes into play. But he grew up a Chiefs fan, and then all of a sudden became a Jaguars fan a few years back. I'm gonna to have to ask him about that too, about how he became. A Jaguars fan, because you don't normally see a lot of Jaguar fans outside of Jacksonville that don't have some kind of ties to to the team, unless you're just one of those people who who love an underdog story, which we are forever the the underdog. Um, The next story I want to get into, the third part of this six-pack is the young quarterbacks versus the veteran quarterback? Uh, much has been made, sort of, about the, the NFL's declining ratings this year—that uh, down double digits across primetime ratings. I think local. Ratings are, are, are still at the same, possibly a little bit more, but the primetime ratings for Thursday night, Sunday night, and Monday night are all down double digits. They probably got a little bit of a boost last night with the great game in the AFC West battle with Oakland and Denver, um, with Oakland coming away with that big win against the former Super Bowl champs. But one of the reasons that people have said that, they're, that the ratings have been down is because of the lack of quality quarterback play, especially among veteran quarterbacks, especially now that Peyton Manning has retired. Tom Brady is probably on the last, you know, two or three years of, of playing in his prime, probably two years max of playing in prime. But still, I mean, a good Tom Brady is better than the majority of, of any quarterback in the league now and in the future. Um, so, yeah, that that's been down. And so that's been sort of, especially with Tom Brady missing the first few weeks of the year, That has been blamed for sort of the the lack of stars in the NFL. But I would argue that the quarterbacks over the weekend that deserve a lot of respect, especially because Tom Brady was on a bye, but Drew Brees, he earned three touchdowns and passed for another 300 yards against the 49ers this week. That makes 55, 55 career games where he has 300 plus yards and three touchdowns. So 55 games, Drew Brees... I mean, I don't know that this guy, he doesn't get enough respect. He's obviously playing in a situation with New Orleans that he likely, A, won't leave, and B, he they're not going to win a championship anytime soon. Um, they, they're definitely in the rebuilding phase, I guess you could say. Um, but Drew Brees, still getting it done. 55 games with at least 300 yards and three touchdown passes. That's the most in NFL history. Um, another quarterback that I wanted to talk about—that's not—I mean, he's obviously a veteran, but he's—he's he's not up there yet as far as age-wise of a of a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady. But through the last five games, Matthew Stafford of the Lions has one interception, and that one interception came across or came against that talented Vikings defense over the weekend. The Lions beat the Vikings, and and they look to win. They might be the most sure thing. In the NFC North right now, Stafford has led the Lions to over four fourth-quarter deficits in a victory in the five wins that the Lions have this season. Four of those have been because of the arm of Matthew Stafford. Plus, did you see that catch by Golden Tate? I mean, like he almost like somersaulted into the end zone. So that was awesome. That was a great game to watch. Um, kudos to the the, the Lions and, and, and getting on a little bit of a, a, a better streak. Than than what we're used to to hearing from. They're sort of in the same conversation as the Browns, and I'd argue the Jaguars now too, where you don't expect much from them and they're 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 maybe now there's a group of teams that are now the lovable losers since the Cubs have um are, you know, world championships or world champions right now. And then the other quarterback I wanna bring up too, as far as good quarterback play, Dak Prescott. I mean, you can't really talk about good quarterback play without talking about this kid. He's the first rookie quarterback in NFL history to have six starts with a 100-plus passer rating in his team's first eight games. He has led Dallas to a 7-1 record, and he's the first rookie in the Super Bowl era to start and win seven of his team's first eight games. Now, I do think it's you have to give credit where credit is due. That offensive line is the best in the NFL. Um, he has a great running back. It arguably co-rookie, rookies of the year or rookie MVPs and Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. They're, they're both killing it right now, but you gotta, you gotta give credit where credit is due. And that's, it, it's in the trenches. And the, that offensive line is the reason for Ezekiel Elliott's success and Dak Prescott's success. They are allowing him plenty of room. They're, they're obviously, they're, they're creating blocks and, and just making it easy for that rookie transition into the NFL. Now, I'd argue running back is probably the easiest position to come into as far as the NFL is concerned. It's, it's essentially, here's the ball, go, and follow your blocks. Um, for, but for a quarterback, it's much more impressive for Dak Prescott to be stepping in there and, and, and really cementing the argument that he should get the start over Romo. Whether or not that comes to, whether or not that stays true for the rest of the season, I guess we'll see. But I'd hate for this kid to throw, you know, have a, a tough game. He hasn't had a tough game yet. Um, he's had six starts with a 100 plus passer rating. So if he, if maybe he has a tough game coming up, maybe in Pittsburgh. They play Pittsburgh this weekend. Say so he throws a couple of interceptions. Is Jason Garrett going to bench him for Tony Romo? I don't think that that's the right call. I think once you make your decision on the guy, you got to keep him in there and you don't take him out until if he's winning, you don't remove him from that situation or from that ebb and flow until there's an injury or if it's just drastic. Say he has, you know, a, a Blake Bortles spurt of just, you know, like three games, I would say of multiple interceptions. And you could sort of say like, okay, well maybe he's now playing a little bit tougher of opponents and, and, he needs to to have more time studying film and being behind a veteran leader like Tony Romo. But Tony Romo is just so fragile that if if they're winning behind Dak, Dak keeps the job. So that that's that's a few different quarterbacks to keep. I mean, I'm sure you guys have, been, if you're sports fans, you've already been keeping your eye on them. But it's just a a, a sense of. That if the ratings are down and you're looking for, for quarterbacks in particular to follow, like these guys are still here. You got your Drew Brees, you got your Matt Stafford, you got your Dak Prescott, you have the young, the mid, and the older. So that, that's plenty of reason to, to still watch a lot of these different games. Um, next up on the list, the fourth one in this six pack. And if you're just tuning in, my name is Blythe Brumley. I'm co-host of, or not co-host. I am the host. There's no other. There's nobody else here. Um, but I'm the host of the Guys Girl Show. I live in Jacksonville, Florida, so you'll hear me bitch and complain about the Jaguars a lot. Um, but I come from a. It comes from a good place. It comes from love. It's sort of like a. I like to attribute it to um, a long-term relationship. Where there's peaks and valleys and, and while we had our peaks in the 90s, we are, we've been in a valley for about a decade now. So, um, just, it, it's, it's sort of what sports is all about. Every year you put your hope into a team and, and hope that they can do something with it and they shatter it every year. So I've sort of become used to it. Um, but based in Jacksonville, Florida, I do some media work and TV and radio here in town. Um, and then I run a website called guysgirl.com. So hence the show name, The Guys Girl Show. There's a website called guysgirl.com where you can find out more of my work. And I'm on all the different social media networks for both business and personal. Um, so you can find me at Blythe Brum um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, and then you can also find the Guys Girl accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Um, so next part, the fourth one of this six pack, and what I, this is the the six pack of sports stories that you need to know from the weekend. So Mark Cuban pulled the credentials of two ESPN writers over the weekend. And he did this because the Mavs are, are one in five. NBA season started, in case you're one of those people that have been in, um, just a football focus uh NBA season has started a, uh, about a week and a half ago and the Mavs are 1 and 5. So they haven't uh, they haven't had a too hot of a start. And one of the ESPN and writers that's been covering them for years has actually been he hasn't been pulled completely from covering the team, but he's been put on other assignments. So he's covering the, the Mavs aren't his main focus anymore. And apparently that upset owner Mark Cuban to the point where he pulled the two writers press credentials and when asked about this cuban said they're not banned from the building they can still buy a ticket which is which is kind of funny to me because as i'm technically a member of the media but and i know that i can get press credentials for, for certain events when i want to but to me, I so I, I want to experience things as a fan. I don't want to experience things from the press box. I think the press box sucks ass, and there's really no other way to put it. You you can't bring your friends with you. You can't enjoy an uh, an adult beverage. Um, you can't cheer. You can't curse. And that essentially <laughs> those four things. Art is what I do at every single Jaguar game. I'm drinking with my friends, uh, or I'm bringing my friends with me, I'm drinking at the game, hopefully cheering and definitely cursing. Um, so if I can't do any of those things in the press box, then why would I want to go? And to me, that's the, that's the biggest issue I have with, with press boxes, is that it's sort of... It's like a who's who in the media. And it's just a dog and pony show that I just, I'm not, I, it's it's not me. It's not my scene. I like to have an opinion. That's why I'm here talking to you guys. That's why I'm here, you know, creating this show. And I don't necessarily think that media members need to have access to the locker room anymore. I I I get it from a standpoint of you want to get player quotes and you want to get their raw emotions after a game, but a lot of the times these guys have been so coached by the PR staff that you're not getting anything authentic from them anyways, and when they do go into the locker room, you're only getting a couple people. They don't have to talk to you, and essentially... They're, they're being prepped regardless. So those, the rare moments that you get, say, uh, you know, a Cam Newton that's going to be open and honest and blunt with you, he's going to say that in front of a lot of people. He's not, and the minute he says something like that, somebody else has the camera, somebody else has the quote and they're sending it out. I can still enjoy the event on my own terms and still cover the story and still write about it. And in, uh, in essentially the, the the same way that a traditional media person would be. So I don't know how much of a big deal this is. I know that it was, it was one of the, the, the top trending stories on Twitter today, but that's sort of because it's a media story about credentials being pulled. And so a lot of media people are going to be talking about how ridiculous, how outrageous is this? But, I mean... Who really cares? Like, I don't really care if you have access to the locker room or not. I, I, I'm i going to get the player news. I'm going to form my own opinion. I'm going to get the news regardless. So what do I give a shit if, if, if you ban me from your locker room? That, that's also an argument that's made here in Jacksonville locally because it, with a team with a losing record for so long and – a lot of the local media is essentially pretty soft on on the Jaguars and especially with, with different players and things like that. But these guys don't break any news the the, the, the people who break news are the Adam Scheffler's of the world, the, the Ian Rappaports, the people who have legitimate sources in mainstream media. The local guys aren't really doing that. And and so that that to me just goes to show that that the times have changed and that you don't need the traditional media access that that most reporters and and journalists covet and they they want that kind of access but most of them aren't getting the the stuff that they desire the stuff that they want the stuff that they think is going to make for a good story and that if they're not getting it I mean there's there's plenty of other people there who are so. That that's always sort of been my thing is I I I don't need media credentials and the only reason why I would take media credentials is to be able to see an event for free and that's sort of what what uh, Cuban made the point he said they're not these two writers they're not banned from the building they can still buy a ticket and and maybe that's where that hurts a, a lot of the the media members because I don't know how many media members would pay to go to a lot of these games especially a, a Mavs team that started one and five. Would a media member pay to go and, and watch that team? Because I can tell you that I've done it for years. I'm a Jaguar season ticket holder, and I still talk about the team. I don't take media credentials, and I, I feel like I'm very opinionated, and I'm well-informed on the team. And I, and I don't have locker room access. If I wanted it, I could have it. But it's just not something I'm into. So I think that this is much ado about nothing, that the media has changed so much that now teams essentially own their own media. We saw it just recently with the NFL. They have barred all NFL teams from tweeting out vines and gifts and and um, different things like that from their own Twitter accounts because the NFL wants to control it. So the, you have the it, it's just the changing of the landscape where you have team it, it, team media members who are part of the franchise. And I don't necessarily and I I say this in the best way possible, but I don't necessarily trust what they have to say. And I, I I respect their analysis, but on the same coin, I know that there are PR meetings. I know that there are ways or how are we going to, to shift this focus? How are we going to um, point this story in the direction that we want to? And I know that there are certain hoops to jump through whenever you work for a team that you have to put the message that they want Put out. You're not putting out your own opinion. And so that's what I've always had an issue with, 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 working for, um, for, for other sports entities is that I would never want to work for the Jaguars because I don't want, I don't want a muzzle being put on me. I want to work with them, but I don't want to work for them. And to me, that's a huge difference. So I think that this story, this Mark Cuban pulling the, the credentials, is it petty on Cuban's part? Yeah. It's definitely petty, but that's who he is. Nobody is. I don't. I don't think you should be shocked by this behavior of Mark Cuban when he's done shit like this in the past. Um, But these two writers, if if you have other, if if you've been given other responsibilities now, if I'm the writers, I put all of my effort into covering all of those other responsibilities. If you don't want the coverage of your team, fine. I don't need to cover your team. That would be my attitude, but I'm a little bit of, um, I'm a little snarky. Um, so the last one in this six pack that I'm going to get to is Marshawn Lynch. i want to end this on a good note. And I adore Marshawn Lynch. And, and you hear from the media that he's not the, he he's not the friendliest guy and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't cooperate. And, and, and what that essentially, that, that, sort of, I guess, spin on Marshawn Lynch is because he wouldn't, he wouldn't play under the, he, he wouldn't be a puppet. He wouldn't dance under their puppet strings as far as the media is concerned and, and do the things that they wanted him to do. But Marshawn Lynch, by all other accords, is a great guy, a great friend, a great teammate. There were, there were guys who talked about, and I remember reading the story of like, it was an SB Nation article. It was like former teammates tell di- like nine different stories about Marshawn Lynch. And the one, there was one player in particular where he had surgery and he was in the hospital. And the player that was there the most, the first person to come and see him and to hang out the longest was Marshawn Lynch. And this guy, he returned to Cal over the weekend. So it was former Cal running back. And back in 2006, uh, he did this medical cart celebration and, and he recreated it over the weekend, and he almost ran over a, a member of the band. He had his mom in the cart with him, and uh, oh, rapper E Forty. I don't like rapper E. I don't like E Forty. Um, but yeah, he he recreated the the cart scene. And if you haven't seen that, I'll I'll include it in the show notes. But he's he's going crazy. He's going wild. He's driving around the football field in the cart. So I just thought that that was awesome. So I'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well. Um, we should be joined by Sully Football here in about 15 minutes, and we're going to talk about Jaguars Chiefs. It's much more interesting than that sounds, trust me. Um, but he's a big Chiefs fan and a Jaguars fan, so we're going to get his analysis on what he thought of the game yesterday. The Jaguars barely, sc- or the Kansas City Chiefs barely scraped away with the victory in 1914. I predicted that game was going to be a, a high scoring game for the Chiefs. I predicted them to win 30 to 10. So the fact that the Jaguars held in there till essentially the very end, and if it wasn't for the sake of four goddamn turnovers, then the Jaguars very much could have won that game. They finally got the running game going, more than 200 yards, um, on, on a, the rushing offense. So it was, it was a, a breath of fresh air, um, especially since Greg Olson, the offensive coordinator, was fired after the Tennessee embarrassment, um, on Thursday night football. And, the quarterback's coach, Nathaniel Hackett, was promoted to the O.C. position. He's had some experience being an offensive coordinator while he was in Buffalo. Um, and my biggest concern with Hackett, though, is that if Blake Bortles has been so dreadful this season, and he has been dreadful, if he if his mechanics have worsened so bad, then why, and, he, and Nathaniel Hackett was the quarterback's coach, then why would giving him more responsibility... Taking over the play calling, taking over the running game. How would that make Blake Bortles better? But apparently it worked. I mean, Nathaniel Hackney, He he tried some different things. Obviously it worked. Um, Blake Bortles still struggled. He he missed on some throws. He didn't get, he wasn't helped out by his wide receivers much at all. There was a couple drops by Alan Robinson. Um, but I mean, unless you really watch the game, there's a big crucial drop by Alan Hearns, a fourth and one play that could have resulted in a score. And he, I mean, it hit him right in the numbers and he dropped it. So that, that was another huge play. Alan Robinson, though, I'm not going to give him that much heat this time because there were a couple plays that he, he laid out and he, and he dove for. And unfortunately, if you lay out and you try to catch it, that counts as a drop. So there are moments when maybe, you know, as if you want to be selfish, is and a lot of wide receivers aren't, it's in their nature to be selfish. Um, but if you wanted to be selfish, then maybe you could say, well, don't lay out for that ball, and then the drops don't count on you, and it doesn't look as bad on the stats sheet. But at the end of the day, like, you want to be able to bail your quarterback out if he throws it a little too deep. Or a couple yards off, and um, but they just weren't able to connect on those. It did look a little bit better. It didn't look as anemic as it has for the entire season, pretty much. Um, but that is um, that. I guess that was a little bit of positives that you can find out of another Jaguars loss. So, but I mean, I know I've kind of talked about it a lot, but we'll go into that later on. Um, especially with that quarterback controversy with Nick Foles and Alex Smith. I, I don't know what Kansas City is doing with that. And Plus, we'll get into some NFL playoff picture. I want to know what Sully thinks about the Patriots and who, ha- who in the AFC has a real shot at challenging them. Also on the other side with the NFC, who has a real shot of challenging the Cowboys. And then we're going to get into a little bit of his career stuff, how he got started and all that good stuff. Um, but while we're waiting on for him to call in, he should be calling in in about nine minutes. Um, so he's gonna call in at eight pm. Eastern Standard Time. But I don't know if you guys saw this other these other couple stories, but the Lakers beat the Warriors on on Friday night. And if you didn't see the look of the bench of the Warriors when they realized that the Lakers were beating them, it's it's definitely a sight. It looks like they've just been stabbed in the heart or they just walked in on their wife cheating on them or something. Um, but the only two teams to have a winning streak against the Warriors right now, Cavaliers and Lakers. So that that's a little bit of a cool nugget. Another thing too that I, I saw over the weekend is um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. got a speeding ticket on the way to Texas Motor Speedway. He was going to do some practice and he got popped by a cop and his his fiance snapped a picture of him getting a ticket from a cop and when on twitter and he was asked how fast he was going and Dale responded not fast enough so i'm 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 willing to bet that dale can afford that ticket but i just thought that that was a, a little um, funny that you know a nascar driver gets caught for speeding um, a couple of other stories that i want to get into too while we wait for sully to call is I, I do this segment each week called Useless Information. And that's normally where I would have put... If you missed the first part of the show, I went on this long rant about the Penguin Love Triangle. So be sure to check out the podcast if you missed that, because it's a fantastic story. And you might have heard about the, the Penguin Love Triangle and you know how the penguins fought and all that. But it turns out that a lot of the female penguins also or not a lot of them, but a good majority of them have been observed prostituting themselves to have other penguins, male penguins build their nests for them. And then they leave without mating with the male penguin, which I find completely hilarious. Um, but if you missed any part of the first portion of the show, um, you can go and you can check out the guys, girls shows podcast feed where it's on iTunes, um, Stitcher. If you have an Android, I mean, I don't want this to sound snarky, but whatever you Android people use to listen to, to podcasts, I am I'm an Apple iPhone junkie, so um, I, I know exactly where to find that in iTunes, um, but I'm not sure where you would find it in, in, if you have an Android device. But I do know that I've made it available for Android devices, so I still love you Android people. I am just um, I'm team iPhone. Um, so a couple of other of these stories that I wanted to get into before Sully gets on the line. Um, but this, another animal, weird animal story is that the two-headed sharks. I don't know if you guys have seen these pictures floating around, but apparently two-headed sharks are becoming very common. And ever since 2008, I think is when they first, um, started discovering them, their scientists aren't sure if these things are able to survive in the wild. And, but they don't know why we're getting more and more two-headed sharks. One theory that did come out, though, has suggested that overfishing has encouraged more inbreeding among sharks, which results in more two-headed sharks, which is... Ugh. <laughs> I don't really even know how to follow that up, except I'm just going to move on to the next story. And that's the mannequin challenge. I don't know if you guys have seen this over the weekend, but the mannequin challenge is just like planking, sort of like the running man challenge where you pose as if you're, it's like a, you know, when somebody yells, freeze, and you just freeze, and that is essentially your mannequin challenge. I don't know if it's tied to a charity, Uh, whatever. It's a, it's another stupid internet trend. The Dallas Cowboys, um, the executives tried to do it and they failed horribly. It looks really weird seeing Jerry Jones trying to to participate in an internet meme. Um, but a couple of other really really cool stories um, is the mini NES. So Nintendo. First system that they ever came out with was the NES, and Nintendo decided to re-release the NES, but it's like itty bitty, and it comes pre-loaded with 30 different games. That comes out next week, but it comes with games like Castlevania and Kirby and The Legend of Zelda, um, Super Mario, uh, what else? Donkey Kong. Um, but yeah, 30 preloaded games and a controller for about 60 bucks. I looked online today to see if there are pre-orders available. No pre-orders available. It's, I think it's going to be one of those things where they're just going to uh, places like Amazon. They're only going to get a certain amount, and once they're sold out, they're sold out. Um, so expect that release. I expect them to be sold out fairly quickly, and then I expect a lot of them to be thrown up on eBay for probably quadruple the price. Um, for people who want to get their hands on it for the holiday season, so if you haven't already, what I did because they don't have pre-orders available, I went to Amazon, found the little Amazon page, and um, just hit the link that says "Email me when this product becomes available." So hopefully, I'll be able to to get on it as soon as it becomes available. Because I, other than that, I don't. I think this thing is going to sell out, and I think it's going to sell out quick. Um, a couple of other things. If you follow Guys Girl on Instagram, which is at guysgirl underscore. Somebody else already has the full Guys Girl handle, which I'm not a fan of. But um, they have the, on the on my Guys Girl account, Guys Girl underscore. Um, a girlfriend of mine, she sent me because I love picklebacks. And if you don't know what picklebacks are, picklebacks are a shot of whiskey, usually Jameson and a shot of pickle juice. So it's kinda like um kinda like a Jaeger bomb. Um, but you well, not yeah, kinda like a, a Jagerbomb Jaeger bomb where you just have a chaser afterwards. But once you take the shot of whiskey or or bourbon or whatever your you know your whiskey of choice is, I guess, and you take it and you take the pickle juice right afterwards, it wipes out the taste. So if you're drinking like cheap bourbon or something like a Jim Beam or something and you want to just erase the taste right away, shoot it Shot of pickle juice, completely wiped out. But it's also my hangover cure. It's like my secret hangover cure because me and a gr- bunch of girlfriends, we all went to um, Vegas in September over Labor Day weekend. And so we had this delivery guy. You can pay to do this. You can have, You can make a grocery list and pay a delivery guy to go to the grocery store, pick it all up for you, and deliver it to your hotel rooms. It's, it's a little bit challenging getting around Vegas. And we were coming in town for a bachelorette party, so we got a lot of things going on at once. And so we pay this guy, and I told him, I was like, I want a jar of pickle juice because it's a hangover cure. It has a lot of uh, sodium and electrolytes in it. So anytime I'm hungover or anything like that, I take a couple weeks of it, weeks of it. When you're, hungover, when you're your body, hungover, your body needs water and water sodium And, so the and once and you have a little bit of sodium, a little of sodium in, of sodium in, sodium your, in your, body, your body, then you start feeling better. You start having a little bit more energy. And so that's why I told them that we definitely need a jar of pickles, even though we ended up eating the pickles eventually, I got it just for the pickle juice, because I don't know of any company that sells pickle juice just by itself until now. And that brings me to the the picture that I posted on Instagram earlier, that this company called Gordy's, let me make sure I get the name right, Gordy's Pickle Jar, they started selling pickle juice in a can, like a, a real life-size, normal si- not life-size, but normal size can of pickle juice. And so you can buy it now and you can make your picklebacks. So you can have your hangover cure. Um, but I just think it's 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 a brilliant idea. They call it though fine Gordy's fine brine for cocktails. I I, I haven't I'm not gonna knock it because I haven't tried it yet. But I don't know of how many cocktails you could legitimately drink with pickle juice. Probably something with whiskey. Um, but to drink and sip on it rather than shoot it, mm, I'd have to, I'd, I'd have to try it first. I'm not going to knock it because I am a, a, a fan of all things, you know, sort of vinegary tasting. Um, so that is. That concludes our unusual news of the week, or what did I say, yeah, useless information. But it looks like we have Sully calling right now, so I'm going to bring him in. Hello. Hey. Hey, is this Sully. Hey. Okay. Good. All right. I'm gonna bring you in on the live stream now. If you guys are just tuning in, you're you're listening to the Guys Real Show. I'm your host, Blythe Bremley, and I'm joined now by Sully Football, and uh, we're gonna get into a little bit of this Kansas City and Chiefs game. So, so Sully, Kansas City barely came away with this win. Uh, I guess the struggling Jaguars team. Are you feeling worse or or better about this Chiefs team today?
1: Um. I mean. It was actually, uh, it's honestly kind of a confidence boost. That was really a big team. By about this, the middle of the third quarter there, I guess, once Kelsey was out, Macklin went out early. I mean, that honestly was. All of our top playmakers were out, and even some of our top playmakers' backups were out at that point. So, I mean, I don't know how you could be anything but confident after winning. I mean, it's still, regardless of what the Jaguars, you know, record is and. and it's still a professional football team. So, uh, I mean, to get a win with the, with kind of the odds we were facing there, I was actually a little bit pumped up about
0: it. That's actually a really great point because I think it's sort of being billed today as, you know, we almost got away with this win. We were, you know, the Jaguars are so close. But, I mean, we were playing against a Chiefs team that that had a lot of backups playing. But, but with that said, Nathaniel Hackett, I mean, he obviously, the, the new offensive coordinator for the Jaguars, do you think he had a good game plan against the, the, the Chiefs yesterday?
1: You know, I said this yesterday on Twitter. I don't know how you put anything from that game yesterday really on coaching. Um, a lot of that was just really poor execution. I thought the game plan was fine. He knew where to uh, – he obviously has done his homework a little bit. I mean, he knew where to attack us. Um, you know, he picked on full games in the passing game, which is what you need to do. He stayed away from Marcus Peters other than, I think, the one long gainer. Um, and he ran off tackle, which at the moment, Poe's playing fine in the middle, but the, the linebackers are really struggling to cover those outside gaps. So, I mean, his game plan was perfectly fine. I, I like what he did. It was just, you know, uh, we talked about it on the show we did earlier that day, was we're going to play disciplined football and we're going to let you beat yourselves. And you kind of saw that. <laughs> it there.
0: What's been your the, the biggest differences between a, a Greg Olsen-led offense versus a, Nathan, a Nathaniel Hackett? I thought this, you know, I've seen them a ton this year because of you know the way the TV schedule has worked out. I live in the DMV right outside of DC, so um, it, it, it they looked
1: like they were in a much better rhythm. I'll say that. And the one thing I think the constant all year so far for Jacksonville's offense is that they just look really uncomfortable. And I thought they looked comfortable Sunday. I thought they they knew what they wanted to do. They had a little bit of uh, pep in their step, a little bit of juice. Now you can say, man, they only put up 14 points, but. There wasn't a ton of, and I know this is going to be a narrative a lot of people don't hear, but there wasn't any real garbage line in that game. You know, there wasn't any playing prevent, playing soft uh, defense, you know, letting them rack up points and yards towards the end. That was a fight kind of until the final whistle there. So I thought, uh, you know, the off tackle runs looked a whole lot better. Chris Ivory looks like he may be starting to come into the zone a little bit. He looked a lot more like the Ivory you've seen in the past. So, uh, I mean, overall, I, I thought he had a great game plan. It just, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs are – They're tough to score on, man. We let you get what you want between the 20s and want to get to the red zone flat down.
0: Is this something that you think, this offensive production that we saw from the Jaguars yesterday, is this something that you think the team can build off of?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that they, like I said, they looked better prepared. They had a little bit more of a their step, and I think he knew where to attack Kansas City. Now, you know, whether he continues to have a great game plan every week or not, I don't know, but... Uh, you know, Chris Ivory, he missed those for a couple weeks with that, you know, the injury, the undisclosed injure, injury, and then, you know, uh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's tough to take because Blake, to me, still looks really, really bad, and that's been, to me, the problem all year. And if you guys are going to be able to start to run the ball, you know, teams are going to maybe make Blake beat them, and I don't know if he can
0: well, that's an interesting point that you bring up because um, I, I was reading an article on Fox Sports today that they, they put out that former Razorbacks quarterback Brandon Allen should actually start for the rest of the season over Bortles. Uh, I don't know if you know that much about Brandon Allen or not, but is that something that you, you, you think would be a wise decision for this franchise to make?
1: You know, I think that's people kind of grasp my straws there a little bit, trying to find something that'll work. I don't think pulling the plug on Bortles is the right move, and especially, you know, that's, that's a desperation move at that point, and that's what's going to happen if, if your owner starts putting pressure on the GM, like, hey, it's a make-or-break-it it type of situation. You know, right now, he drafted Bortles in, this, in the, the, you know, number three overall. This was his third year as a starter, I believe. So I, I don't think you want to make a move that drastic because if there is something there with Bortles, now I personally don't think there is, um, you know, if there is something there, you can, I mean, you can kill a guy's confidence almost forever if, if you make a move like that. And I know you'll have some people say, maybe it's better for him to take a step back, get a couple of weeks, get his feet back under him. But, I mean, that's never really proven to be true. Uh, RG3, even before the injury, he looked terrible in the preseason, terrible in week one up until it happened. So I don't think that would be really a smart move. And I don't know that, I mean, it's not like Brandon Allen was, you know, this highly touted prospect coming out and everybody wanted to get their hands on him or something.
0: So uh, sort of going back to, to maybe you guys' own maybe quarterback controversy, you sort of hinted at it yesterday that that on the Jaguars kickoff show that um, if Nick Foles played well, that Kansas City could have their own quarterback controversy. After seeing Nick Foles do you, in, in the announcement that Alex Smith is going to get the start this coming up weekend, do you feel better about this offense moving forward if Alex Smith is leading the charge? Or after yesterday's performance, do you think it should be Nick Foles? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, Alex. Foles looked really bad yesterday. Um, there was a lot of our underneath and intermediate stuff that we
1: typically run was open. Uh, I mean, they even showed a couple still shots of it throughout the game of, you know, Sir Kendrick West kind of running open for a first down where Foles threw it up and down, down the field in double coverage. And, you know, Foles, to me, while we get excited because maybe the offense goes a little more vertical, that interception where the Jaguars looked like a circus show back there, when they bounced off each other and dropped the, the freebie punt—you know—that was um, something Alex would never do. And I know a lot of people hate him for that, but you know, if Alex Smith played that game yesterday, that probably that score was a whole lot worse. And I know people are going to say his production isn't any better than what Foles did, but there was so much open over the middle and underneath, and and in that little intermediate passing game that he really thrives in, that the plays were there to be made, and Foles just was not reading things at all which to me was surprising because, you know, the narrative on him has been he had a time with A.G. Riggie before, you know, the offense is going to be, you know, separated in and play, and he looked way out
0: So what are your feelings overall about this Kansas City Chiefs team? Do you think they have a real shot at the playoffs? Absolutely. I think
1: we're the best team in the AFC West, and, you know, the Raiders are getting so much love at a 7-2 and, two, oh, yeah, seven and two record. But the Chiefs are 6-2. and two. They just have already had their bye. Oakland hasn't. And we destroyed the Raiders, uh, you know, two weeks ago. We beat them 26-10, to 10, completely shut down that offense that everybody's been, you know, oh my God, their offense is so great. And if you look at it, look at some of the offenses Kansas City has shut down. And remember, we don't have Justin Houston right now. He comes back this week, comes off the pump Wednesday. He'll be back. We just cut uh, Terrence Mitchell one of the corners to make room for him. So he's going to be back this week. So our best player, a guy who has a J.J. Watt type of impact mm-hmm. on defense, is coming back to a defense that's already shut down you know, offenses like Jacksonville, uh, Oakland, Indianapolis, some of these teams that are really put up points, we play played really well again, So, I'm feeling great right now. And, you know, the game last night said a lot to me. If Oakland is that much better than Denver, we don't really have much to worry about with Denver either.
0: Hmm. So, uh, why do you think that Oakland is, is getting so much love? I mean, it, when the Jaguars played them a couple weeks back, it was, you know, Oakland has one of the worst defenses in the league. And, you know, it, of course they have Derek Carr, but, eh, he's... he's he, why do you think that they're getting so much love more than, say, a KC or any other team in the AFC? I think people are
1: starting. I think people want the Raiders to be good, much like
0: the Cowboys and mm. some of these other teams. But, you know, I don't think a lot
1: of people have seen them a ton until last night. And, you know, you're thinking return to Super Bowl chances. of the Denver Broncos. Uh, Keith Ali proved how much you need the defense last night, which is how they were able to split the slot and stuff without him in there. You know, because it basically pushed Chris Harris outside. So, and then on top of that, you know, Simeon's not good. He's one of the worst starters in the league, and they got a little bit exposed. I do think Denver's going to be okay, but without T.J. Anderson, they're a whole different offense. So it takes it puts so much more pressure on Simeon. And regardless of whether he's better than Lynch right now, or if he was their best option, he's not a good player. So I think Oakland's really getting propped up by their schedule at the moment. Much more. To say this, I think it's, it has more to do with the schedule than it has to do with the team right now. Their car has not been overly impressive. I mean, look at last night. It was like 180 yards or 200 yards or something like that on like 31 attempts. Like, he's not like he's really tearing people apart here unless he's playing a really bad defense. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, you can't. They remind me of the Chiefs from 2012 when we went on the uh, – or 2013 when we went on the, the long winning streak there and everybody said, well, you're not doing anything but beating bad teams. And I remember – much like Raiders fans are doing right now, I was upset. I was like, dude, you know, we're 11-5. How are you going to tell me we're not good? And then we got destroyed by Angelo. when we got to the playoffs. And I think they're
0: for kind of a similar fate. Well, speaking of the playoffs, when you look at the AFC, I mean, it's really the Patriots and then everybody else. Is there any team that you think can legitimately challenge this Patriots team from from an eventual coast of the Super Bowl?
1: Well, you know, I, I think – The Patriots are the best team in football, and there's no taking that away from them. But people have to remember, we said the same thing last year, and they didn't even make it to the Super Bowl. So they lost to a Peyton Manning-led Broncos team when Von Miller cut it on. So you know, if you're looking at the other teams that are going to be in that discussion, I don't think Oakland is good enough to beat them, but Oakland can score. So, you can't really ever say that they're not in any game because they can put up 40. And if you can't score 41, you're going to lose that ballgame. So, the Chiefs to me are a great matchup with New England, um, mainly just because of the pass rush with D4 coming on strong. If Justin Houston comes back at all and Poe in the middle kind of playing his game, I think they're, they're going to have enough on defense. Now, the problem with the Chiefs is going to be the question everybody's going to have is whether they can score enough to kind of hang with some of these bigger teams. And then the last team, I think nobody's really paying a ton of attention to. They lost three straight, but Ben's been hurt. And mm-hmm. the, the Steelers are a completely different monster when he's healthy playing football. So he got his rust off last week. He comes back and is healthy throughout the playoffs. You can never cut the Steelers out because they're a team that, yeah, I mean, even him being on offense makes that defense so much better, it's just in the time possession and the points and the field position game and things like that. So, they to me, I think there's
0: two AFC West teams, and if you ask me, I don't think there's a team in the AFC South that can challenge them. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I think that that's definitely factual. <laughs> uh, we're joined by Sully Football. You can find out more of his work at on Twitter, at Sully Football, and his podcast, I Hate Sully. Switching over to the NFC, is there, I mean, obviously the NFC is, is in, in more talented than, than the AFC. The Dallas Cowboys seem to be cruising Um, Is there any team that sort of sticks out to you that could give this Dallas Cowboys team a challenge? I mean, I know the Vikings have have sort of faded a little bit. The Lions are are everybody's darling this week. Is there anybody else? You
1: know, the Lions are playing really good football, but the question for them is always going to be that defense. Um, I think Matt Stafford's playing MVP football. A lot of people are talking about Derek Carr and, uh, you know, Matt Ryan and some of these other guys in MVP discussion. For me, it's Matt Stafford right now. Yes. If you take Matt Ryan off the Falcons and replace him with uh, a different quarterback, Kyle has proven in the past that he can get production out of it. If you pull Matt Stafford off the Lions, I mean, they're down in that Jaguars territory of, of a football team in my opinion. But, I mean, overall, I do think the Falcons have enough on offense to be able to compete with the Cowboys. Um you know, Zeke is amazing, and Dak, to me, has been great this year. So, I think the future is great for Dallas. They are still both rookies. Now, I know they haven't looked like it yet, but uh, and that's not to say that Atlanta has enough of a defense to kind of expose anyone, but man, can Atlanta score. I mean, they can score with the absolute best of them. So And, and you know, they have a, the weapons on offense, and Julio is a guy who can literally take over a game, and he can become uncoverable as long as he's healthy and he's getting the ball in. With Tevin Coleman's been injured the past few weeks, so if he's back healthy with Devontae Freeman, like they can run the ball too. They're really, really dangerous on offense. And you know, I wasn't a huge believer in them at first, and then I kind of started to come around, and then I backed off a little bit. But I'm, I'm back on the Falcons train. I I think they might be the best team in the NFC right
0: now. Oh wow! Any, any worry from uh, the Seattle Seahawks? Well, you know, the problem with the Seahawks is they put
1: way too much on Russell Wilson. That offensive line is the worst I've ever seen from a team. Like, there are a few you we I talked about this a bunch, but there's a certain teams that have players in positions that aren't even NFL quality players. Not not saying a guy who's not a
2: quality starter. There's guys that shouldn't wouldn't even be on a roster somewhere else and the Seahawks have like five all of them oh, on top wow. of the line. So
1: they they're real and Russell's banged up a little bit, he's taking a ton of hits and the problem with him right now is, you know, when he's not able to get out of the pocket now and watch so play tonight, make him look dumb for saying all this, but, you know, he's not able to get out of the pocket and get on the move and change, you know, where he throws from. It, it really complicates things for him as being a 5'10", 5'11 guy. So, they're in some trouble there. Um, and I think that their weapons maybe have always been a little bit overrated as far as what they had on the outside, but, you know, if they can't figure out that offensive line, man, they're going to struggle no matter what because... If you think about it, all the teams we just talked about from the AFC uh, have dominant pass rushes. So what, even if they can run to the NFC, I mean, I what happens when they did didn't make it back to the Super Bowl again? I just I think they're a flawed team. And everybody knew it was going to happen. Like, eventually in the NFL, your roster turns over. A lot of those guys you have on value deals come up, and you, you can't pay everyone.
0: And so, there's really no, I mean, besides the Atlanta Falcons and the Dallas Cowboys, there's really no other challenger, it looks like. It looks like it's going to be like a foregone conclusion that it could be a a Cowboys-Patriots Super Bowl. Sort of. I I wanted to... I I, I agree with you there. I think that the Vikings are just too flawed defensively.
1: Sam Bradford's coming back down the earth a little bit. The Lions, to me, their defense is just not going to be enough to get them there. If you look at the other teams in that division... Green Bay got really old really quick, and just too many injuries on the outside there. The weapons aren't what they used to be. And as far as the NFC East goes, they have some quality football teams in there, but the Cowboys are just going to run away with that thing at this point, I think. So I'm with you there. It's going to be one of those two teams. There's really nobody else to really put in that conversation, I don't think.
0: I talked uh, earlier, sort of uh, switching gears a little bit, I talked earlier in the show about uh, Mark Cuban. Pulling credentials for a couple ESPN writers, um, essentially d- just saying, "Well, he's not banning them from the building. He's just uh, that they can still buy a ticket." For for what you do, and for what I mean, it's sort of similar to, to what I do and what um, other you know people on I guess bloggers do as well. Do you think that it's that it's possible in today's age to to properly cover a team without getting access to the locker room?
1: Yeah, because you know, I think that I don't think you're going to have as many inside sources and things like that because you're just not going to be able to build a rapport with people if you're not in the building. But if you're if you're a fan that's looking for intelligent content, you know, that it is maybe goes beyond. I think you can get a lot. I think that let me put it this way: I think the content can be a lot different. If you're getting somebody that's inside the building, a lot of times they're walking that fine line to something like this doesn't happen to them. You know, so they're not going to be overly critical you're going to see a lot of the same cliche kind of coaches speak, uh, you know, reporters speak, that type of stuff come out. And, you know, on the flip side of it, if you're guy that's maybe not in the building, guy or that's not in the building, you know, you'll get maybe a little bit more of a real reaction, some raw coverage. And, you know, you can be more critical of what's going on without any fear of this happening. You know, there's a lot of teams in our local area, I won't mention any by name, but that are famous for this. You know, you can't get too down on them or you run the risk of this happening. So, yeah, I, I think you can absolutely cover the team from outside of the building, but I think it's are
0: going in a much different way. I, I would definitely agree with you there, because especially with, with, with the Jaguars, there are a lot of the traditional media, say print and 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 TV, that get crucified. I'm sure you've seen it um, from Jaguars Twitter, that they're too soft on the Jaguars, but, but it's definitely true, because I, I remember writing a, a critical article about the Jaguars uh, three years ago, and they're still... Uh, a couple people that will not, in the, in the PR department, that will not look me in the eye just for writing one <laughs> critical article from years ago. Yeah,
1: and I mean, think about it if you have uh, uh, credentials and you're in there every day. I mean, if you write an article bashing Blake Portals and calling for Brandon Allen, like we talked about, and then, you know, you're going to go in there and look Portals in the eye the next day and expect them to give you a quote or you give you any time, like, you're not going to do it. You know, it's just not, it, there's a lot more of the relationship factor on that side of it. and not to say those guys don't have a hard job or don't do a good job, but I think it really depends from a fan perspective what you're looking for, and you know, in reality, other sources and stuff that not great. But really, you're just racing to get the beat off before everybody else does.
0: That, that, that that's definitely true. So that sort of brings me to to what you do and how you got started. Sort of give for a lot of people who, who don't know, how did you get involved with with sports? What is your what is your sort of your background? Um... I mean, I did the old, the, you know, the
1: old traditional route. I played football in high school. Like I ended up, I uh, went through the whole recruiting process, so I got to see that kind of up close and personal. Lucky me, I was invited to a lot of camps that were kind of invite-only stuff, so I got to know a lot of people and gain contacts and stuff that way once my playing days were over, which was pretty much after high school because so I wasn't as good as I thought I was. But um, home, my college career kind of flamed out. I came out, and I was actually... Just a guy who had like 50 followers on Twitter, and I always like to tell the story. Um, it was uh, actually Michael Felder, Matt Miller, and Ben Albright, three of those guys, pretty, all three of them really well known. I used to tweet stuff to them all the time, you know, funny stuff or being really O <laughs> line specific, and nobody else knew really how to talk about offensive lines. So you get a couple of retweets and a couple of shout outs, and next thing you know, you go from 30, 40 followers to three or 400, and then uh, from there, I ended up on uh, hosting a show on when NFLPA, the player association, they came out of the radio network. So I had a show on there once a week. I did that for a couple uh, a couple months. before that, kind of flamed out, and then you know, ever since then, I was say, I'm really nobody, but just a fan with a Twitter account and a guy who figured out how to upload a podcast
0: night <laughs> Well, that, that sort of brings me to my next thing. Why did you call? Why do you call the podcast "I Hate Sully"? Do, do people? A lot of people hate you. Yeah,
1: you know, I think I'm everybody's kind of, i uh, we call it I hate Sully because so many people will say, like, they hate me, but in reality, I think a lot of people turn come to like me, like with that bar Twitter, in the, in the past three or four years, just, just especially, you can see how, you know, the relationship there has changed from everybody hating me to now everybody likes me. A lot of times, I just say what you don't want to hear, and that is... You know, this guy isn't good. This play, and I, and I don't even, you know, back in the day, I used to try to do so much analysis with everything. And then and nowadays, I don't even need all that. Like, hey, I, I don't need to watch an all 22, and and no play portal type because of the shooter. So, I just say it. You know what I mean? So, the yeah, I hate Sully thing, it, it, it's really, you know, I, as much as Jaguar's Twitter didn't like me a few years ago, Raiders' Twitter cannot stand it. So, that, uh, that, that really stems from all that. And, and a lot of people kind of is, uh, unwritten when they're Twitter and, and Twitter hates me also, so you'll see people write blogs about me, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, this type of stuff, so it just was kind of a fun name to roll with, and to be honest with you, I threw that podcast together in, like, a day, and I was like, I was wrong with this, and everybody was like, you know, it was like a day where everybody hated me because I said something.
0: That's, what I was going to say, because it just was like, I one day, it was just like, oh, here's a podcast, and I was like, wait, he started doing a podcast? So,
1: did
0: you, did you just start it up out of nowhere? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I just, you know, I was thinking about it, and uh, I was on somebody's show, I don't remember now, because it's been a couple, I mean, I'm 30 episodes in at this point, so it's been a while, but, um, you know, I just kind of was like, hey, I wanted to, uh, I was on somebody's podcast, everybody said they liked it, and then I wanted to rank the quarterback in a funny way, like, I wanted to kind of, you know, my whole stick is really to go against what everybody else says, and then, you know, it kind of, I poke fun at draft Twitter a lot, and stuff like that, so everybody at that time, and this is going to sound funny. Was on the Blake Bortles isn't good. He's just a garbage time quarterback guy. So I wanted to rank the quarterbacks thirty two through one, and I wanted to purposely put him in the top five just to make everybody <laughs> mad. So I started thinking about it. I'm like, what better way to do this than podcast and have Ben Albright, who so everybody hates, man? Let's have him on here with me. We'll both rank thirty two through one. We'll put I'll put Bortles at and in, in the top five. I think he put Alex Smith as number one. So we did it as kind of a trolling thing and. You know, I, I did it actually just to be kind of funny and fun at first, and then it got like, you know, a ton of listens, so I was like, oh, I'll just run with this.
0: So how often do you record the podcast now?
1: Well, we were doing it just whenever we wanted to dropping it, whenever, some, some weeks we had one episode, some weeks we had eight, so it was just a complete mess there for a while, and then, um, you know, surprisingly, people like to listen to what I have to say, I can't believe it myself, <laughs> so... um, we have changed the format now. Now I record on Wednesdays, I have a guest, and then there's also like a little 20-minute um, something you can listen to while you're creating your FanDuel and DraftKings lineup. We have it with John Proctor, uh, who's from com. He's a great, this stuff, and he's an awesome guy. So he comes on,
0: we do it like 15 to 20 minutes, so you can go see while you're doing your lineup. So there's two episodes a week, but there's really just one big one that drops on Wednesdays. Is there any other part of sports media that you'd like to experiment with in the future? You know, I'm the world's worst writer. I mean, I, I can't tell you the difference between the, the, how many O's need to be on your two.
1: Um, <laughs> I, I rarely get my theirs right. I'm graded to yours only because I like to make fun of the people who don't get that stuff right. Like I'm, I do run on sentences and i awful hold that. So writing's not in the cards for me. Um, I definitely have a face for radio too. So I've got TVs in the, in the works for me. So it's probably going to be just the podcast. And you know, if anybody ever wanted to, yeah, if I ever wanted to go back live on air and stuff like that, I do like that because what a lot of people don't know, my podcast is really straight from the hip. It's just like I'm doing this now. I don't have notes. I don't do any research beforehand. Uh, I just like to be, you know, when I'm doing a guest appearance like this, I like someone to ask me a question and you get kind of my real, actual response. And on my podcast, I mean, when we're going through the games, the in-the-game preview, I'm literally on Google just scrolling through the NFL schedule that week and I'm just shooting from the hip from each first
0: team. Oh wow, that's that takes coming from me. Like I, I actually go through and I make a rundown and I write notes and I make sure that I have a not somewhat memorized, but you know a a good portion of it in case technology fails or anything. So that that's um, that's definitely impressive. So is there is there any is there anything else that you're that you're working on in the future or or what happens essentially to your your football coverage after football season ends? Well, we're gonna.
1: I don't know, I'm gonna stick with it. We're gonna. It's you know, we're not gonna be able to do like game previews. You know, a preview of every game every week, but we're we'll probably moving into topics. Get some guys on. Um, I'm thinking about you know maybe working in some of these guys. The contacts I have that are guys that we've all seen kind of grow up is the way I like to put it. Like I'm recording with Matt Harmon from NFL Network tonight, who a lot of us knew when he was a guy that had his own little blog and like 400 followers, and now he's on TV. So. Maybe get some of those guys on just to learn about them, figure out where they're from, kind of how they made it. Because I know a lot of these guys want to try to, you know, you know, make their way into the business and things like that. So we'll move to that, and then who knows? Maybe we'll just do some fun stuff. Uh, maybe the episodes get cut back a little bit. But the great part about the NFL is it never really slows down. Exactly. And which I, 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 I do kind of dabble in college football, too. I'm, I'm actually a bigger college football fan than I am an NFL fan in terms of I'll watch college football all day on Saturday. NFL, you know, I have there are asking good games for me to be interested if in, it's not Kansas City. Um, so you know, they're recruiting, they're free agency, there's the draft, there's so much content with the NFL. I mean, it never really stops.
0: That, that that's definitely true. So it keeps it keeps the lights on in my house. That's for sure. Um, but I, I definitely I, I want to thank you for your time. Um, if you guys wanted to check out more of Sully's work, which I highly recommend, you can check him out on Twitter, at SullyFootball, S-U-L-L-Y, and then obviously football. And then you can check out his podcast on iTunes. And then for you Android people, I'm sure it's out there as well. It's called I Hate Sully. Sully, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. So that was Sully Football. Obviously, I mean, a lot of, a, a lot of great insight from that guy. Um, I would highly recommend following him. Um, number one, he's pretty damn funny. Um, number two, he, he, he knows his stuff. I mean, you, you heard him mention it in, in the call just now that, that he just sort of, he just sort of shoots from the hip and that for somebody to, to, to have that kind of wealth of knowledge, and to not have to be able to study and prepare. I mean, for for someone like me, I'm kind of an organizational freak where I I I like to know I like to have what we what we call a rundown. And if you don't know what a rundown is, is essentially what your the the big topics you're going to talk about. I don't know if I can kind of show you what my screen looks like, but if you look, I think you can kind of see it. But if you're and I'm sorry, you guys, if you're listening on the podcast right now, you can't really see. I mean, obviously, you can't see at all. Um, but you can see uh, what I have listed here. And so I'll go through in like the big highlighted area that is the main topic. And then I'll put a bunch of subtopics underneath that, you know, with nice little bullet points and all that. So to hear that somebody can do an entire podcast, which is probably at least an hour long and not have to um, go back and reference any notes, I mean, that, that, that's really, really impressive. So you should definitely check out more of his work um, coming up this week. I mean, if you guys are just tuning in, I'll give you a little brief rundown on me. My my name is Blythe Brumlieb. I run a website called guysgirl.com. Just launched this podcast in live stream on Chat. Um, you can find the podcast in iTunes um, called Guys The Guys Girl Show or Guys Girl Shows. Um, but do this show uh, twice a week. So Mondays and Fridays, Mondays from 7 to 9, recapping the sports weekend. And then on Fridays, in the morning from eight thirty to ten thirty, sometimes nine to eleven, just depending on you know, the the content flow. But last um last Friday we were joined by Sprott's Gat, and she runs a website called SprozTakes and she was fabulous. I mean, that girl really knows her stuff. I mean, after that interview, like we got to talking and it it looks like we might work together on some things in the future. Um, she has sort of a a similar brand to guys, girl, and she covers a lot of the different, um, Kansas city area sports. Um, so that's how, you know, her, her and Sully have a connection there. And obviously with the Jaguars playing against the chiefs yesterday, that was, um, who our guest was. So if you, if you guys have anyone that you think that we should profile on the show, what I like to do is I like to get people who are in sports but not in the traditional setting, as say, uh, you know, somebody who works for a newspaper, or somebody who works for for TV media. Certainly, welcome those people onto the show. We had um, Michael Yam, host of the the Pac-12 Network, uh, come on a couple weeks ago, and so it th- that's definitely an interesting story as well. But what I like to see are the people who who didn't take the traditional route, because I, I mean. Sort of selfishly, I feel more connected with them because I didn't take the traditional route. I didn't even start covering media until – I mean, the goal of Guys Girl was to always be my own media company. And so when I started working for other legitimate media companies – and not to say that Guys Girl isn't legitimate because it is legitimate now. We're an LLC – um, but working for you know a magazine, working for a traditional radio station—the radio station that's home to the Jaguars—you know, working for those outlets, you can see the the different strategies that different media takes on, and it, and so it's it's cool to get those different experiences and that different insight. And I think that that's um, what what somebody like the sports Sprottscats and and both Sully can provide that you even if you didn't go to journalism school, even if you didn't take that traditional route of knowing exactly what you wanted to do, you know, when you're 18 years old, you can still make a career, you can still make a future. If you have a passion, and obviously, all of the, 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 the people that I've mentioned, we have a big passion for football, and we all ended up in the same area, but we didn't get that way. We didn't get there on the same path. And so I think that that's the most fascinating thing. So if you guys have Anyone that you think that I should be talking to or maybe anybody that um, would be a good guest on here, definitely um, shoot me an email. There, All my contact information, social media profiles, all that good stuff, that's all on guysgirl.com. Uh, after this show is over, I'm going to send this show over to the podcast editor, Josh. He'll, he's going to make it all nice and pretty, uh, make it sound nice. He's going to upload it to the podcast. So if you miss any part earlier in the show, then I highly recommend going and downloading that. And another thing, I, I, and I don't want to keep asking this, but one thing that really, really helps with the show and, and to get more exposure is is definitely rating and subscribing to the show. And I just found this out, and I should have actually done a, a lot more research before starting a podcast, but sort of like what Sully said in his podcast, I just decided, let's just go for it. Let's just do it. And, and, and that's what I did. But... When you start a podcast, apparently the a little trick that Apple doesn't tell you is that if you get in a, a certain amount of ratings in the first week that it's released, then you get shot up to the the ranking system for like the new and noteworthy category. And so, obviously, this um, this podcast feed has been around for a while because I, I, I co-host a couple other radio shows and I I use those files from those shows in the feed. Um, Helmets and Heels is one of them. That's the first football show in the country to be hosted by all women so that's the show that I do on Tuesday nights for the local radio station Um, so you'll see more of those you'll see a lot of those recap articles on guys girl as well but I didn't know that when I first started out the podcast otherwise I would have been hammering all of my relatives to go in there and 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 rate the show and subscribe to it the ratings is things is, is the biggest deal so if you guys could do me a solid and even if you don't, I would love for you to subscribe, but even if you don't, if you could just drop a quick review in there, that would be awesome because it really, really helps. I mean, it's it's hard out there trying to to make it in a sports media world when you don't follow that traditional path because I've always been one that I want to own my own voice. I want to own my own media. And when you work for another company, you're working for their agenda and you're working for their voice. And a lot of the times it, 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 it's good to fall in the company line, but there are times when you don't want to fall in the company line and you want to be able to speak freely. And and that's the the, the point of the Guys Girl show is that I want to bring people on and I want them to speak honestly, I want it to be authentic and I want you guys to learn something from it. And I want you guys to learn something new from every single show that I do, because I'm, I'm, I'm that type of person that's always wanting to learn, always wanting to grow, always wanting to get better. And the, the, the best way to do it is just to jump right in, get things going and you learn as you go. And I'm, I, and I'm learning now. So if you miss the great penguin love triangle story that I told earlier, that's what we kicked off the show with, and then we got into the six things in sports that you need to know, so a little bit of baseball, um, a whole lot of football, and then um, a little bit of Marshawn Lynch acting crazy. So we got into all of that, we will be back on Friday for a full Guys Girl show, I might be able to do a little behind the scenes stuff with helmets and heels show tomorrow, um, so be possibly be on the lookout for that. Um, At the very least, I'll be doing uh, a Periscope on the Guys Girl Twitter account, so you can find at Guys Girl, I'll do a Periscope of the Helmets and Heels show, so you'll be able to listen in live on that one, Um, but other than that, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Um, you, you guys have been great. Uh, at least I think we're one of the top shows on BitChat consistently every single week. So I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to to listen to you know a a girl in Jacksonville, Florida bitching about the Jaguars, but um has a deep passion for sports. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time to enjoy it. I say it a hundred times, but I really, really, really mean it. Um, any of my other work, hit me up. I'm always down to chat. I'm always down to, to talk more and collaborate, so I'm more than happy to talk with you guys, and I hope you have a good night. I hope you have a good Monday night football night. I don't know uh, who are the uh, it's, it's Bills in Seattle that's playing tonight. Each of those teams, they have four wins each, so they each need a really big win. And then another thing that I want to point out there, too, is that on Thursday night, we have Cleveland against Baltimore. I think that might be a game that Cleveland gets their first win of the season. Um, If the Ravens can go out on top, they can be on top of the AFC North after beating Steelers on Sunday, but that was a banged-up Ben Roethlisberger coming back, so I think that win is sort of fluky. I don't know how much credit or how much stock you can put into a divisional race or a divisional win, especially one with, with Big Ben just coming back and getting into the groove of things. Uh, but we also on Thursday night. If you if you don't want to watch Cleveland against Baltimore, uh, Dwayne Dwayne Wade is making his first trip back to the Bulls, or Dwayne Wade with the Bulls is making his first trip back to Miami after leaving that sort of messy divorce. So that's going to be a great game to watch on on Thursday. You can probably flip back and forth, but mostly stay on the, uh, the the Bulls and Heat game. Thank you guys again for tuning in. This has been another edition of the Guys Girl Show, and you guys fucking rock. Thank you. Thanks again. Talk to you later.